One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. With the season just a week away, it's about time we sat down and previewed the Premier League season for 2016-2017. While we expect lots of twists and turns along the way, the World Soccer Talk podcast wanted to give you our prediction for how the season will play out. We'll tell you where we think each team will finish and why we think that team will finish where we think they'll finish. Hello and welcome to this August 7th edition of the World Soccer Talk podcast. I'm your host Nipun Chopra. Thanks for joining us. In order to preview the season, I am joined by my very able, knowledgeable, and eloquent co-hosts, Karthik Krishnayar and Kristen Hennage. In block one, we'll rank the teams from 20 to 16, but before we do that, I should tell you our methods here. Karthik, Chris, and myself ranked each team, and we took the average of our ranks as the final, quote, World Soccer Talk rank for the season. In general, it seemed our predictions were fairly consistent, but as is the case, and you'll listen, uh, you'll, you'll hear this, in the case of teams like Middlesbrough, Liverpool, and West Brom, the hipster, that is Kristen Hennage, definitely stepped away from the mean that Karthik and I kind of tended towards. So we'll definitely talk to Chris and Karthik about those things, in particular Chris, about why he's, he's just so much better than the rest of us. Let's start with, in block one, with the 20th place team. And there was this was the only team that all of us predicted would finish exactly... Uh, in the same spot. So there was no variance here. Hull City predicted to finish 20th. Karthik, let's start with you. There are some decent players in this team. There's Snodgrass, Abel Hernandez, Tom Huddleston did well, and he has done well previously in the Premier League. But the bigger issue with Hull, of course, is the off-field stuff. So is that why we think they will finish as low as we think they'll finish? Yes. Moving on. So, <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, might as well. I, mean, yeah, I don't have much more to contribute. Yeah. It's, uh, it's an unfortunate situation. But, look, I mean, Hull has got a perfectly acceptable business model right now. Fans don't want to hear it. And I know uh, uh, the folks that uh, we've talked about in the past in the United States, the pro-rel uh, jihadists, for lack of a better term, don't want to hear it. But uh, yo-yo is an acceptable model. Hull's a yo-yo. That's uh, a lot better than the other clubs from Yorkshire. Mm-hmm. And I mean, skipping away from whole city, because I think we're in agreement. Let's talk about another yo-yo team at this point, which was the one that we uh, collectively felt would come uh, would finish as low as 19th, uh, which is Burnley. Um, Chris, in your opinion, uh, I think you predicted Burnley to finish uh, 19th as well. So you were right on the money, right? Um, yeah. Yeah. So I, I guess what I want to ask you is, with Burnley, th- th- there's a team that, that has gone down, has come back up. They have a player that may be the next Vardy, and that's Andre Gray. 
Uh, he was a non-league player under 20, under 2014. Scored almost, I think he scored somewhere close to 25 to 30 goals last season. How do you rate this player and what kind of impact do you think he might have on the Premier League? My, my issue with Gray is I, I watched him a little bit when he was at Brentford, most notably in the, the playoff uh, finals or the okay. semi-finals. I'm not too sure what the correct term is. He was he just wasn't able to deliver in the really big moments mm. in the sense that he missed some very easy chances. The idea of him being Jamie Vardy, I'm not so sure. One of the benefits I think Vardy had was his pace allowed him was to that stretch. He likes games. To party or <laughs> there is that as well, but it's also mm. the fact that his his pace really does yeah. stretch games. And I think in a league like the Premier League, which is defensively open actually, and and teams for the most part like to to push up, they don't like to sit deep. That means that he has a, a huge asset. I don't see that same unique asset with, with Andre Gray. It's a similar story between Hull and Burnley, really. They, they've both improved very little since they were last in the Premier League, um, respectively. Uh, Burnley a little bit more because they've actually signed some players. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's not enough. It's it's They've picked up two players from Charlton and a freebie from Manchester United. That is not going to be enough to, to keep you up. And... I appreciate their approach is very much rooted in the idea of being sustainable. I think you have to take at least a little bit more of a risk. Now, granted, we've got a little bit of the month left or the window left. I can't see a dramatic turnaround in their approach, um, even if they do get humiliated on the first weekend of the season. Karthik, has Sean Dyche learned enough lessons to maybe uh, keep them up this year? Because sounds like we're, we're already eliminating two of the promoted teams without a ball being kicked. Yeah, I think that they have a shot to stay up. I think uh, Andre Gray is a different kind of striker than uh, than Danny Ings. Uh, and Danny Ings, keep in mind, was very uh, very poor after I think his head got turned by Liverpool mm-hmm. in uh, in January. And and at that point, I thought Burnley might stay up. Uh, January twenty fifteen, I guess it would have been. So uh, I I think Burnley has a shot to stay up. I I think. Uh, Again, this is a well-run club. This is the best-run club. We just talked about uh, Yorkshire with uh, Hull City. This is the best-run uh, club in Lancashire. Uh, they're in a much better place than Bolton or Blackburn or Preston or, or Blackpool, especially. Right. Now, they're all their local rivals. So uh, it, it's perfectly acceptable for them to uh, to pop up and pop down. I do think, I do sense among Burnley fans, though, there is a bit of ambition this go-round in the Premier League uh, that they did not have the previous t- two times they've come up, largely because of the availability of the television money and the, the, the money from the Premier League television contracts. So let's see if they spend some of that money in the next uh, couple weeks before uh, the transfer window shuts. Yeah, that's the that's the confounding issue, guys. Uh, is the fact that we don't have we don't have finalized squads. So it makes interpreting a lot of this very difficult. Which Brings us to the the next team, and that's Crystal Palace. Um, I think we were in pretty good agreement here. Uh, I uh, I had them at 18th, Chris at at 19th, uh, and uh, Karthik at 17th. I think if I'm rem- remembering that correctly. So no, I thought I had. I think I had Palace going down. Oh, you had Palace going down. I might have switched those out. Uh, I'll have to go back and uh, check once more. Yeah, you're right. You had you had Palace. Uh, you had Palace in 18th. You're exactly right. So. Um, with Palace, the, the the trouble I have is they have, out of these teams that we've talked about and arguably out of all the teams that we've put in the bottom five, they have some of the most talented players. I'm talking about Bolasi, Zaha, Townsend, 
But the problem, I guess, is the striker and and the problem, perhaps, Alan Pardew. So, Karthik, is that why we are writing them off? Is Are we still buying, uh, just going across with the Alan Pardew effect here? Yeah, and, and I think they also are in this position where they're just not consistent enough. And, mm. and there's... The, uh, in spite of the, the veteran presence of guys like Yedinak and, and Joe Ledley and, and others, uh, Scott Dan, there seems to be a lack of leadership at critical times for the, for the squad. So I, um, well, I've got them going down now. Maybe I have, have them going down because I don't, I, I, I'm optimistic about the opportunities for, for clubs like Middlesbrough and others to stay in this division, uh, perhaps delusionally. <laughs> we'll, we'll know in a couple okay. months, right? And, and also Bournemouth. Uh, my, I'm, I'm optimistic Bournemouth can continue under Eddie Howe in, in this, uh, in the Premier League. But I, uh, it's a numbers game, right? I, I don't, I think what we had last season is you had a weak, a, a core of really weak, teams that have been needing to go down for a while mm. three of them in Sunderland Newcastle and Villa now Sunderland had the great escape again because of Allardyce he to do that every year with a different manager uh this season we'll talk about them later but they've got uh, David Moy so I, I don't know that they'll be in relegation trouble this season but Newcastle and Villa went down last season they, they those two clubs have been begging to go down for years and have needed to go down for years two massive clubs two clubs that have uh have been perennially weak in this Premier League for a long period of time. This season, you don't have those weak, traditionally large clubs left in the Premier League. So someone else is going to go down. Someone who should have gone down last season or the season before is going to go down this season. And I think that's uh, I think that's Crystal Palace. I also think that might be West Brom, and I know we'll get to them in a little right. bit. Yeah, we'll come to them next, but... Chris, let's really quickly talk a little bit more about Palace because I feel like we're doing a bit of a disservice. Uh, you and I both had them just outside relegation. Karthik had them relegated. But this is a team that was in the final of the FA Cup. This is a team that was as high as fifth in at, uh, during December of last year. So why are we so set on the idea that it will be Palace of the second half of the season and not Palace of the first half of the season? Because I think this is a... <clears throat> excuse me, a situation Alan Pardew often finds himself in, is that the approach works for so long and then it starts to, it not only starts to rub off tactically, but I also think his man management starts to lose appeal to Mm -hmm. players in general. Um, I think they've made a fairly astute signing in Steve Mandanda. And yeah, I I don't think that pushes them up a few levels purely because Wayne Hennessy was actually fairly dependable last season. Again, my issue with with Pardew is is always the same: is that for some reason, I'm not entirely sure why, he seems to get a, a more than fair review of his time at Newcastle because he once put them in fifth position. Mm-hmm. Towards the end, he was absolutely a bad manager, and a lot of the shortcomings I saw present during that period are now also finding themselves a Palace, where he has control of the transfers, where he doesn't find himself with a lot of the easy get-outs that he had at Newcastle. So I, I don't see it drastically changing because this is the thing with him as well. Is Tactically, he's not the most versatile. I think this is the, the biggest issue is that he has a plan, definitely. Mm-hmm. When that plan doesn't work, that's when things start to fail. So if he spent the summer working on something different, then mm-hmm. you know I'm, I'm going to look a huge fool. I just don't think he has. I think he's very set in how he wants that team to play. And it's, it is quite similar to that Newcastle side that he had. Yeah, so we have Hull, Bar- Burnley and Palace as a our predicted relegation candidates for now. Uh, we think West Brom will just survive. 
uh, and Karthik, um, you and I had West Brom relegated in 19th place, and we'll come to the reason why they're out of the relegation battle in a second. But um, from your and my perspective, is this just wishful thinking from us? Like you and I have both been very critical <laughs> of Tony Pulis's. It might be. Yeah. Very well might be. Because honestly speaking, I would say that when I'm looking at it objectively beyond the the draft that they serve up every week in terms of the style of football, at the, at the end of the day, Tony Pulis has had a good record with uh, Premier League teams. He does have some quality defenders in that team pending the sale of Johnny Evans to Arsenal. He does have some strong midfielders. He still has Berahino. He still has Rondon. So I don't know. Maybe you and I are just biased to stick him in 19th place. No, I think also he hasn't been able to spend the amount of money. Uh, now, uh, Ron Doan was a very expensive purchase last season, mm-hmm, and uh, right. part of the reason they stayed up. But uh, they, he doesn't have the amount of cash resources, the amount of money that he typically has had when he's kept his teams in uh, good stead. Now, that's why he walked out on Palace. So mm-hmm. I um, I wonder, relative to the rest of the league, what West Brom spending is going to be like. They've always been a pretty responsible club, and – with the TV, if other teams to spend more, uh, spend as much, if not more than Pulis does, we've gone through this previously on this show that Pulis uh, spent a lot of money at Stoke. Right. He spent uh, a, a lot of money in a short period at Crystal Palace, or and wanted to spend more. So uh, that's, um, I, I think this might be the season it catches up with him. And again, I'm saying this because I think there are these teams that have been begging to go down for years. Maybe West Brom is the last of those big teams that have been begging to go down for years. That. Uh, are no longer in the league, specifically Newcastle and Aston Villa. Yeah, you don't have them to count on being relegated this season and say, okay, there's only one relegation spot that fell to Norwich, who's a who's a yo-yo team and has a responsible business model and might be right back up next season. Uh, so uh, it's going to be more challenging to stay in the division this season, and and um, that's why I think uh, when we get to Sunderland, we'll talk about they have to make a big appointment, and they did. They got the right guy, David Moyes. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, some of these other clubs, uh, clubs with uh, managers like Alan Pardew, they don't have the right guy in uh, in charge. Chris, while while Karthik and I had him West Brom in 19th, you had them as high as 13th place for the end of the season. So tell me why why you think they'll do as well as you think they'll do. Because they. I essentially see them mirroring their trajectory for last season. So they will be down there, they will be close to it, and people will essentially talk about all the feelings of Tony Pulis and why he's limited and all that kind of thing. While also on the other side, you'll have those people who say that actually he's never been relegated and he's, he's you know rather harshly thought of needlessly. And then towards the end of the season, they will find ways to pick up points. Mm. Um, because I think Pulis... The thing is, he has that in him. He can grind out points he can grind out results in that sense mm-hmm. the difficulty with Pulis is I think no football fan wants a team that just grinds out results all the time like that actually right. you want to believe that you're building something and and not even in a an obnoxious or a pretentious way you you want a team that actually feels like it's attempting to play the game whereas too often West Brom or, or more specifically Tony Pulis teams have been about stopping the opposition playing the game and I think that's the difficulty that he faces is that when the results disappear, when you're not having that winning feeling, it starts to, to grate on you as to why you have him in the team in the first place or in the club rather. Yeah, I, th- I think one piece of evidence also, that's, well, one piece of data that supports what you're saying in terms of where they might end up is signing Matty Phillips. I think he'll have a good season uh, in from the winger position. But yeah, the, this... 
or peerless. He absolutely yeah, he loves Omega. <laughs> he does. But I think it also contingent a little bit on what happens to Berahino because at this point, you have to just wonder about the the idea of keeping Berahino. Sure, sure, he'll get you five, six, seven goals, but the effect that has on the rest of the squad has to be toxic. So I think it might be time to cut ties there. Let's move ahead to the gaffer's beloved Swansea, who we have finishing 16th. Um, I had them uh, as high as 13th place. Um, I think Karthik had them in 16th, right on the money. And uh, Chris, you had them... Uh, oh, you had them relegated. So so let's uh, let's talk about this now. Uh, the first thing, I guess, Karth- Chris, let's start with you, since, since you had them as low as relegation in 18th place. No, this is my last appearance. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Goodbye, Chris. This is, this is good... <laughs> Good, uh, You'll hear it from the gaffer in the morning. Yes, yeah. <laughs> thanks, thanks for the memories, Chris. Your your jokes will always be appreciated on the World Soccer Talk podcast. Uh, so th- the big issue, I think, maybe this is why you felt the way you do. They've had three strikers leave, and they've signed a 31-year-old Fernando Loriente. Um, is that missed an open goal on his debut? Yeah. So is is that one of the reasons you're so concerned about Swansea? That's part of it. So it's essentially. What they've done is they've they've loaned Gomez out, who again had an indifferent season. I'm not going to make out like he was some goal scoring phenom. They've also let go of Ayu, who I think was actually quite dangerous, even if he was a little bit patchy. I just haven't seen a real statement signing from them that drastically improves the team. I think Lorente has the potential if you're going to employ wingers, and but saying that they had that very awkward kind of situation with Jefferson Montero last mm-hmm. season where he didn't seem to play. If Lorente's arrival then also facilitates the return of Montero. I'm willing to potentially revise the opinion slightly. I just think there's so many of the warning signs for this Swansea team about them potentially going down. The fact that Poloski is signed in January, sold in the summer. There's a lot of things that just don't sit right with me about Swansea. I just have a bad gut feeling. It's largely based on that and the fact that they haven't, as I mentioned there, there haven't been those sort of landmark signings to, to allay those fears and make me think, oh no, well, he'll come. Good because it's it is even Borja Baston who they're they're looking to get in. It's a risk. There's no there's no proven. I can speak from from experience. Signing a striker from Europe, as we did with Alexander Mitrovic, it it can go boom or bust very easily. So Karthik, the other side of this is there's some very good players on that team. I think Ki Sung Young is one of the most underrated underrated players uh, in 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 the English Premier League. We know what Sigurdsson can do on his day. Um, Lorente, for as old as he is, actually, let me rephrase that. So he started uh, just 23 games last season for Sevilla, scored only four goals. So he's not going to provide the number of goals that uh, Swansea want or, or used to get from the likes of Wilfred Bonny or even Gomish at the start of his Swansea career. So wh- where are you on the Swansea squad? Because I, I hear a lot of the points Chris is making and they're very good. But at the same time, there's still some very good players on this team. And I, for one, don't see them getting relegated. Maybe I'm just trying to save my job at World Soccer Talk Podcast. <laughs> yeah, maybe we both are. Yeah. No, I think Key and Sigurdsson are two of the better uh, players that you're going to yeah. find in, in the bottom portion of the table. And, and we've seen Sigurdsson create magic out, out of nothing with free kicks and, and shots from distance. Llorente uh, is still a quality player. He's not getting goals anymore. And this isn't the Llorente of... Uh, of athletic fame and it, from from years ago, but he is still a good uh, 
player who can hold the ball up, can play with his back to goal, which is what Boney did, remember, for, for Swansea. Right. Uh, even before Boney started scoring goals, uh, he started tearing through the league, I, I want to say, uh, in, in uh, January of 2014. But that first six months with Swansea, he didn't score many goals, but he was effective in the kind of uh, build-up play and, and yeah, possession play that Swansea does Mishu, Mishu at the time who was putting away goals for fun. Right, yeah. So I think Llorente will help them. Uh, I still think that there's um, a lot of weakness in this squad, though. I mean, they 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 very easily could uh, could go down this season, also. I mean, I'm not I'm not in complete disagreement with Chris. I've, I've got them higher and have pegged uh, West Brom and Palace to go down, but I think this is a situation where they have uh, stagnated now over the course of a number of years as the bottom of the league has gotten better. The top of the league has not necessarily gotten better. It's kind of receded. But as the bottom of the league has gotten better with the amount of money that has been pumped in from television uh, revenues. So the club has also been sold. Uh, I, I should mention uh, uh, the, the legend, American international Landon Donovan, one of the uh, uh, greats uh, from, from this country, uh, all-time leading goal scorer for now. Clint Dempsey's going to overtake him pretty soon, but U.S.'s all-time leading goal scorer uh, is a part owner, small minority owner in Swansea City mm. now, which is a nice story for all of us Yanks, and maybe uh, we'll uh, grow the Swansea brand here in the States. Here, here. Uh, before we get to talking about the next uh, five teams, let me tell you a little bit about our sponsor, SeatGeek. We actually have some really exciting news to share about our sponsor, SeatGeek, which is that SeatGeek is now the official ticketing partner of Major League Soccer. SeatGeek is working with the league and its teams to introduce a new ticket buying experience that will make it easier for you to buy, sell, share, and access tickets to MLS matches. I, for one, travel a lot and get uh, love to get tickets to events last minute. Just yesterday, I, I had some uh, friends from uh, from England in town, well, not in town, in Chicago, and we ended up getting tickets to the White Sox. And of course, uh, I use SeatGeek to purchase those tickets. So, Chris, I know you, you've traveled a fair bit recently as well when you were here for Copa, covering the uh, covering Copa. Um, what sort of uh, events did you like attending? So I went to some Mets games. Um, I'm looking, fingers crossed, to go to a Giants game uh, later on this year. The, the the concern always I find with, with buying tickets last minute is it's the, the view and the seat you're going to get because it's so hard. A lot of them have these bird's eye view type maps it's really hard to gauge what your view actually actually right. is going to be exactly until yeah. you stood there what it, what it allows you to do is it allows you to compare prices by searching multiple ticket sites so not only do you uh get some of the things chris is talking about you're also getting um ensuring that you get the best possible deal because it's searching all the different sites that you might otherwise use so SeatGeek does all the work and you save time and money and the best of all of all of this is that our listeners, World Soccer Talk podcast listeners, get a $20 rebate off of their first SeatGeek purchase. To get your $20 rebate on tickets, number one, you should download the SeatGeek app. Number two, go to the settings tab and click add a promo code. Step three, you go enter promo code WSTPOD. And then step four, SeatGeek will send you $20 after you've made your first ticket purchase. So go ahead, gentlemen. Download the SeatGeek app and enter promo code WSTPOD today. When we come back, at it. it's quite good. It'll let you. Um, it'll let you. What's the word? It's a. It's a Google word essentially. You know Street View, where you kind of put yeah. yourself. In, they'll let you do that with the the stadium as well. That's they'll let you actually awesome. see what you're going to see from your seat. I think I might use this actually. <laughs> yeah, yeah. As you were saying, it's very difficult to know exactly how you'll be 
when when you have that 500 level seats, there's no way you can gauge exactly what you'll be looking at. So that's absolutely helpful. So when we come back for section two, we will tell you where we think uh, who will finish from positions 15th to 11th. So we'll be right back with section two of the World Soccer Talk podcast. Section two of the World Soccer Talk podcast. We'll start with Southampton, a team that I think uh, if, if we didn't have the story of Leicester City would still be a darling to most teams. It's a team that has lost entire an entire squad in three transfer windows to the likes of Liverpool, Man United, Chelsea, Arsenal, etc. But this season, it feels a little different. Uh, I know we say that at the start of every season. But having lost Ronald Koeman, Graziano Pelle to China, Sadio Mane and Victor Wanyama to Liverpool and Spurs respectively, it feels like this might be the season we see Southampton start to lose the steam that they had uh, built all of this time. Right, Karthik? Yeah, absolutely. And, and and they've now lost both Pochettino and Koeman, both excellent managers. Uh, uh, Pochettino, maybe an elite level manager, uh, Koeman uh, in, in a tier below that. So uh, they brought Claude Puel in, who I, I like as a manager, but he's going to have to reboot, start over. Their academy is not as stacked, it appears, as it's been. Now, it's still one of the best academies in England, but... Yeah. They're not bringing as many guys. You don't have the Luke Shaws and Callum Chambers and Adam Alanas coming quite through their system the way they used to. So uh, James Ward, uh, Ward-Prowse is one of those players, right? Um, uh, Sam Gallagher is another, but they're, they're not quite at that same level. So I think this is about where they're going to finish, and, and they'll consolidate and, and, and maybe uh, live to fight another day. I, I think losing Mane is, is a huge one, uh, losing Graziano Pella. Uh, my my colleague uh, Steve Bernasconi got to see him play uh, already. He and uh, and um, Papa Cisse, uh, my my strikers, four level strikers colleague, four level strikers U nineteen team by the way, was just in the Wayfong Cup, uh, and Steve traveled with the U nineteen team. And uh, lo and behold, Graziano Pella got bought by the local team Shandong something or other, mm. and Papa Cisse is with them also. So we got to see them play oh, already. Papa Cisse had a horrible leg break, uh, I think, in, yeah. in, in that game. So. No, no, it was Demba Ba. Yeah. Oh, it was Demba Ba who had the Bob. leg break. Right. Who was playing for the other team. Who was playing for the oh, okay. team they were playing against. So, gotcha. yeah, so a lot of uh, familiar Premier League games, familiar names for Newcastle fans. Uh, but they took the money, and um, they've been able to reinvest that previously because Koeman's scouting connections on the continent and particularly in Holland, I'm not sure that's going to work this time. And, and again, other teams around them have a lot, a lot of money. Uh, so this is about right. 14th, 15th, 13th. That's where they're going to finish. Chris, you had them a little bit higher than Karthik and I did. You had them as high as 12th. Um, and I think one, a couple of those reasons, I, I guess I want to know what those reasons are, but from my perspective, one of them is the fact that they've replaced uh, Wanyama with Hoiberg from Bayern, who, who's young, but he has that similar uh, style. He's, maybe he's a little bit better on the ball than Wanyama is, but they're both similar midfielders, and maybe they'll be relying on those kinds of decisions to come through for them to make sure that they don't, are not in a relegation fight. Hmm, I, I think... <clears throat> If we compare this summer to the summer in which Lalana Lambert and all of those departed, it doesn't feel as chronic a gutting this time round. Mm. They've lost components, Pella being, I think, the most important one. Yet they've still got the likes of Shane Long. As you said there, they've managed to bring in Hoiberg from Bayern. They've also still got Dusan Tadic. 
there's enough components in there for me to think this will be okay. The problem is for Southampton is, and, and I do appreciate why Southampton fans look at this with almost a pride and, and can at times seem defensive about it. There's only so many times I think you can keep losing the foundation before it does start to wear away. Um, it's impressive the way they've recovered from Pochettino to Coman. I, but again, there's a point where I think you have to really fight to hold on to someone and, and they just didn't seem to want to do that for mm-hmm. Coleman. Yeah, it's it's got to be troubling as a Southampton fan to keep seeing all these players leave. But talk to me about Claude Puel, um, Karthik. I actually don't know a lot about him. I, I know he did well at Nice with a little bit of, with a, not a lot of uh, finances, uh, financial support, which is probably why he's been brought in at Southampton with a similar story in terms of not buying a lot of players. So talk to me a little bit about his manager, uh, this manager, because I, I can assume that a lot of listeners don't know a lot about him either. Yeah, I think he's a pretty good manager. I have to say at Leon, he, he inherited a situation where they were selling all their best players as well. I uh, kept them pretty competitive uh, for uh, the f- first few years. Now, I, I, by pretty competitive, I mean pretty competitive by Leon standards, which at the t- established time was, was winning the league or, or finishing second every season mm. uh, in the league. So that was... Uh, that 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 is where um, that's where he, he's kind of at, 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 um, made his name. At Nice, he did an excellent job. I mean, Nice is a team that um, it just doesn't have the resources to compete with uh, the upper echelon teams in uh, in, in Liga. Um, now, obviously, the league is a bit down, and now has been uh, really impacted by the the, uh, the constant spending of PSG. So he's a. He, I think he's done a a relatively good job. I think he um he he had done a good job at Lille before he went to Leon. So, um, good manager in France. I I, I think uh, he'll do okay with Southampton. There just has to be some realism about where Southampton is. You can't. I agree with Chris. You can't just keep uh, dismantling these teams and reloading. And I think the um the scouting network Kuman brought. Uh, saved Southampton the first time they dismantled the team and, and Pochettino left and went to Spurs and and now uh, uh, it's going to be very very difficult they uh, they're very few core high end players that they're retaining uh, from year to year to year and it's also chemistry issues dressing room right, issues you, right. you, you can't you can't keep turning over your squad as seven to eight players a year and expecting any sort of consistency and Southampton but just last point here let's remind our listeners they finished eighth seventh and sixth the last three years. They're one of only a handful of teams that have stayed in the top eight uh, these last uh, three seasons in the Premier League, which is remarkable. But I think uh, uh, that's uh, those are going to be looked upon, back upon as fond times for fans on the South Coast because it's, it's, they're not going to get back to that level of six, sixth place last mm-hmm. season anytime soon, in my opinion. Chris, we have Sunderland finishing in 13th, and I'm glad I'm getting to ask you this first because I think both Karthik and I have a bit of a love fest for David Moyes. I think both he and I kind of go to bat for him based on some unfair criticism of David Moyes. But, oh, look at me. I'm actually pronouncing him as David Moyes as if he's he's a Spaniard. Uh, David Moyes. Uh, so why don't you tell me, uh, because because when I was, okay, let me tell you, when I was finished filling out our top 20, uh, how, the, how the season will play out. I kept pushing Sunderland up without having a real reason for pushing Sunderland up, except for David Moyes. They've made no signings. Uh, we're expecting Moyes to make all these signings, but they've made none so far that I know of. So why is he as high as 13th in our average? I think, actually, last season uh, built a good amount of confidence for for Sunderland under Sam Allardyce. Yes, he deserves a lot of credit for what he did. 
I also think he managed to fashion something out of that team that showed there are talented players in there. Jermaine Defoe being one, I think Jan and Villa eventually grew into the role. Jan Kirchhoff is probably the biggest salvation um, job relative to his debut against Spurs and then how he ended the season. And I just think that once David Moyes is able to add a few sort of important components in there, they'll be a very serviceable side. I think it won't always be pretty, of course. Um, I, I can't really think of many instances <clears throat> in which David Moyes' teams have been too pretty. But I, I don't have a fear for them for relegation this time round. They've got Kone as well at the back, who I think is huge. Assuming they keep a hold of him, which everything I'm hearing from people at the club is that they want to do that, they don't want to sell him. It's it's building those foundations again. I think he's got a good foundation, actually, for all of the sort of stick we could give Sam Allardyce for, for leaving like that, I actually think he left them with a relatively stable ship, um, which was played out partly by the fact that you know they managed to get a draw against Dortmund the other night in a friendly, um, and then announced Papa Digibody not long after. So they're starting to make progress in the window, but eventually. Karthik, mm-hmm. we'll, we'll uh, jump ahead to Middlesbrough because we'll talk about Sunderland more as more signings come along. Uh, there was a bit of a spread here. I had Middlesbrough the lowest out of all of us. I had them in 16th. Um, you had them in 14th place and Chris had them in 11th. So let me tell you my big concern before you tell me why you think they'll do as well as you think they'll do. I think Ido Karanka is a combustible person uh, and a combustible figure. And I think something like what happened last year where we almost ended up leaving the club after falling out with a couple of players and and ostensibly from with the owner, Steve Gibson, something like that happening again will have a pretty severe impact on a team uh, that is that is just coming back up from the wilderness. Uh, that's a very valid point. <laughs> that's, a very, that's, that's a strong concern, and he is a combustible personality. I'll tell you why I think they're going to be okay. Mm-hmm. I like the signing of Alvaro Negredo yeah. uh, from, from Valencia. Uh, he obviously played a big role in Manchester City's uh, last league title in the 2013-2014 season, now three seasons ago, four seasons ago. Uh, I think uh, you've got in uh, Grant Ledbetter a really kind of steady player. Adam Clayton's a player I've liked for a long time. Uh, got a product of the Manchester City's academy. I've been following him for years. Uh, gone through Leeds and Huddersfield and some, some other various championship sides uh, who, who I think uh, can play at the Premier League level. Uh, Stuart Downing coming back to the Premier League is a is a big deal, uh, and he, he's uh, motivated. He's back with his boy with club. Mirez, uh, we know he's um, supremely talented. I think maybe he fits better uh, with Karanka than he did uh, you know, in his previous stints uh, in this league. I mean, he he uh, wasn't uh, a favorite of, of Mauricio Pochettino's mm-hmm. when he was at uh, – when he was at Southampton, maybe this is a better fit manager-wise. And I really like getting uh, uh, Victor Valdez as your keeper, as your number one. That's a guy who's 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 won everything in the game. He, he's uh, a steady hand, a guy uh, that can really keep you in games. Uh, I'm not quite sure what happened with him and Louis Von Hall at Manchester United, but I'm I'm very confident Victor Valdez yeah. is worth uh, six to eight points for a team that might be fighting relegation, uh, at least maybe maybe more than that. Yeah, I can't disagree with you. I, I know the answer of what happened. Louis van Hall happened. That's what happened. Um, Chris, tell me why you think uh, they are as high as 11th, which is where you predicted they'll finish. If you want to add or maybe you agree with everything Kartik said. I, th- I think Karanka will have the self-awareness to know that this is a huge opportunity for him. It, mm. 
it took him a long time to get Middlesbrough promoted, um, and they had a few stumbles. In, in fact, for a good period of, of their recent history, they were so often the nearly men. They would say top of the championship or thereabouts for a huge portion of the season and then fall away right at the end. And it was it was really heartbreaking for, for the supporters. I also quite like the deals that they've done. I think uh, Negredo, Valdez, those are the kind of quality players that actually know this league as well and will improve the overall. They've also got Jordan Rhodes to have a bit of a litmus test in this league, Victor Fisher. I just think they've they've taken the core of, of players that got them up and then improved in the right areas. Mm-hmm. Um, it doesn't feel as if they've just gone to the market blind. Um, and I, th- I do, I just think it would be a it could it could very well be a breakout season for, for Middlesbrough and Karanko because I do think he's he's quite an astute coach. I don't think he's um someone that's got here by luck. Some good points. Another coach that we seem to love um, and uh, and rate pretty highly, even though his team kind of uh, has had some questionable results, is uh, Bournemouth's coach. And we keep talking about Eddie Howe as, as one of those young, promising young English uh, managers. And we have Bournemouth uh, finishing 12th across the board. We were fairly consistent, um, except, again, for for Chris and Chris you had them finishing as low as 16th we'll come to you in a second Karthik I I think uh, Bournemouth have done a good job in terms of uh, signing some attacking players but the the concern for them again remains a very leaky defense doesn't it it does but we saw at times last season they could be organized and they could play a a more defensive game not a completely defensive game they're never going to resemble a uh, not necessarily a, a, a Tony Pulis team, right? Eddie Howe's teams are never going to play right. like that. But they uh, they showed an ability to defend uh, in numbers at times last season. Uh, and I think uh, they've made some really astute signings. I mean, Nathan Ake, I think, will help them defensively. And I think he helped Watford last season for much of the season, particularly the first half of, uh, up, up till Christmas. I, I think that's a great, great signing. I believe that's, again, another loan. He's just another player who Chelsea keeps loaning out. I, I like uh, the Jordan Ibe signing. I, I'm surprised, uh, really kind of surprised Klopp gave up on him at this stage, although I, I suppose they signed Mane, and that's uh, a like for like, and, and you're, you're going with the with the established veteran player there who's still pretty young, Mane is. We'll talk about him when we get to Liverpool. But I, 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 um, I think that that's a good signing. I'm curious to see just from uh, – American perspective, what uh, Emerson Hyman does, uh, one of our great young hopes, uh, maybe not on the level of a, a Christian, Christian Pulisic who's at uh, Borussia Dortmund or, or Julian Green who's at Bayern Munich, but again, an American that we're pretty excited about. Uh, he's come through Fulham's system, has now moved on from Fulham, and uh, has been signed by Bournemouth. Mm-hmm. Chris, why do you think they'll finish uh, right above the relegation zone? Uh, I think... They were, were helped a little bit last season by the fact the teams below them were chronically inept, and I don't see that happening this season. I also I haven't been that impressed with the signings they've made. Um, the the ones that I think had the the best potential for them were the two that missed most of last season, which was Gradle and, and Wilson. You then look at the likes of, I'd go as far back to say, Turbe, uh, Brad Smith, Jordan Ibe. They're just, they're just not that impressive. Um and I just think it'll it'll culminate in a second season slump. I think it'll be similar to to Birmingham City a few years ago, but but perhaps not as bad. Karthik, the team we're going to go here that'll finish out this section is Watford. 
Uh, last season, they had a very strong start to the season, but fell away towards the latter half, which cost Sanchez Flores his job. Walter Mazzari has come in. Uh, they've signed Isaac Success, which is probably the best name right now in football. Uh, Nigerian winger, uh, probably brought in for more counterattacking systems. But I guess the question is, since we have got them as high as 11th, which is where I had them, um, and Chris had them at 14th, and you had them at 10th. So we all felt that they're doing fairly well. Is Are we all just assuming that Igalo and Dini will have the kind of season they did last year when we are giving them as high of a ranking as we are? Yeah, and I think also part of it, I, I thought Kiki Sanchez-Flores did a very good job last yeah. season, but Walter Mazzari is a top manager. I mean, he is one of my favorite Italian managers. I know it didn't work out at Inter, but when he was at Napoli, what do you, I thought, What do you like about him so much? Well, I think uh, tactically, he, 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 he's, he's versatile. He's a guy that if you watch, watch his teams at Napoli, they could play multiple ways. They could play with three at the back. They could play a traditional 5-3-2 with wingbacks. They could play a 4-4-2, which they might do now with Igalo and Dini if they, if they go back to that. And uh, they were and he, his substitutions often in games at Napoli were very good. Uh, I, and again, I, I, I am conceding that it didn't go the way it, should, it needed to go at Inter. And for him, but I still believe that that was just uh, bad timing to take that job, and it was a, a chance he had to take to leave Napoli and take the Inter job, given um, given the reputation of Inter. Mm-hmm. But he built Napoli into uh, a competitive side. He built them into a team that now has been competitive for a Champions League spot for the better part of of, of, of this decade or the last five or six seasons. So I think he's a top manager. It's a it's a really ambitious hire by Watford. Uh, maybe Matsari himself is a, is a little crazy, or maybe he has a, a decent relationship with the Pozo family. But they, um, I, I'm basing a lot of this on the um, the the um, manage, manager hire and then the, the re- remaining squad that's there that I think has enough quality in it now that it will be more settled than it was last season mm-hmm. uh, to, to, uh, to push on. And, and of course, uh, they struggled the second half of last season, but they were still... Um, they were still a top team. I mean, they still, not a top team, but they were still a, a mid-table team. They were never threatened by relegation at any point during the campaign. When we come back, we will get to teams 10 through 6. Uh, and stay with us for this episode of World Soccer Talk Podcast. Section 3 of the World Soccer Talk Podcast. Stoke City. Chris, there's something very sexy about this team, and not just Arnautovic is top-notch. I just mean the, the style of football, the, the promise that this team has is so different than it used to be. I know we're resorting to cliches, but there's something so... so The potential for this team is so high with Arnautovic and those Barcelona forwards. Um, but they seem to not put all the pieces together in almost every game of every season. So is Mark Hughes going to take this team to the next level, or are they always going to be right where we predict they'll be, which is about 10th place. I, th- I think they'll be right about where we've predicted them. Um, they, for me, are safe bets for the top half. Um, <clears throat> and I think they've managed to slightly upgrade um, their midfield this summer in, in getting Joel. And I think he's a better player than Glenn Whelan is. It's just how they use Gianni and Bula this season, I think, is the most important thing because they've they've got the attacking talent. I'm just not convinced if, if Arnautovic is is yet consistent enough to, to mm. push them any higher than 10th. I think there is a little bit of a 
a reliance on the likes of Arnautovic and Bojan to make things tick. I don't think they have that sort of really high quality number nine yet. Um, and if they get that, I think perhaps then we could revise it and say they'll finish higher. Karthik, can you think of a number nine that maybe Stoke might sign? They, they have Peter Crouch, who's probably the best of all time. So uh, I don't know how they improve on that. Um, <laughs> uh, I don't know. I mean, I think uh, they, they need to sign a number nine. That's the thing that's, that's uh, hurting them at this point. They have so many guys who can uh, help with the build-up play, so many guys who can, uh, who, who, who can create especially when you talk about the likes of Bojan and, and, and Shakiri, etc. And, and then you had Joe Allen, who I thought had a great Euros, uh, maybe was just never used properly at Liverpool into the mix. A guy who keeps the ball moving, keeps the ball moving side to side, can, can pick a nice pass, a longer pass if need be. They have a lot of the elements of a very good team, but they don't have that out-and-out goal scorer. And I guess that's what separates uh, a te- uh, the top teams from, from the teams that are not... Uh, uh, fighting for titles, uh, having guys like Drogba and Aguero are what separated Chelsea and mm-hmm. Manchester City. Uh, te- teams, uh, Chelsea and Manchester City teams that won the titles had lots of flaws, a lot more flaws than the Man United teams and Arsenal teams that won titles uh, before them and after them. It's just that they, they could cover those up because they just had these out-and-out strikers that would have these moments, and uh, that's something Stoke doesn't have. Yeah, uh, you know who has strikers is Leicester City. And we've put them in ninth place. They're defending champions. They have one of the most uh, exciting forwards uh, in European football. Now, European football, uh, Jamie Vardy. They've signed Ahmed Musa. They have Okazaki, who gives them a different option. So why are they in ninth place, Chris? Um, Because for all uh, Musa's performance against Barcelona, I'm, I'm not hugely convinced he will... Uh, sort the goals. I also think from a midfield perspective um, losing Kante is, is huge and I'm not sure Mendy is, is a mm. direct replacement for him. So I just think it is a, a second season something that is also facilitated by the fact that they're going to be playing Champions League. I think right. sometimes when, when you put a team lower in the league it's not necessarily to say they they will play worse as much to say that they have a lot more to contend with this summer or this season rather and I think that will play a significant part in, in their overall performance because I think they'll just be tired. I think that the squad will be too small to, to cope with it. But Karthik, even if even if Mendy is 75% of the player uh, Kante was, or is, I guess, he's, he's not retired yet, uh, and and they've signed Musa, who, who's just enhancing the squad rather than, you know, he's not replacing a, another forward really. So based on those things, based on the fact that they maintained to keep Mahrez, uh, they were able to keep Mahrez, able to keep Vardy, Surely we should be giving them a little more credit than ninth place. Well, yeah, I, I have them slightly higher than that, but that's still a, a situation where you've got a resurgent Chelsea. You put Conte into that. Uh, of course, you have Antonio Conte, the manager, but you, you put Angola Conte into right. that Chelsea team. I think it looks looks a mu- it looks a much stronger team. I mean, he he to me was the best player in the Premier League last season. I know. Uh, Vardy and Morris split all the player of the year honors, and right, rightfully so. I mean, Leicester was the story. They were the team. But I think Conte was the most important player on that team, most important player in the league. You lose him, uh, that's, a, that's a pretty big deal. I am curious about Ahmed Musa. I, I've watched him a lot in Champions League at Seska. I think you and I have talked about this before, Napoon. Yeah. And if he does acclimate to the Premier League, we might be talking about Leicester fighting again for a uh, Champions League spot because you had an out-and-out 
burner as your second striker alongside, uh, potentially alongside uh, uh, Vardy, or you have a guy who could spell Vardy, and, and, uh, and because, you know, you're, you're going to want to probably keep Okazaki in the team because of all the, all the dirty work he does. I mean, he's just a phenomenal player, tucks in as almost a fifth midfielder when they're, they're playing without the ball, uh, does so many little things well. So, uh, although Okazaki's now on the wrong side of 30, let's keep that in mind. Um, it, it, that could be the difference maker. You know, late in games, uh, someone like Musa and then also Damari Gray, who is now going to be a year older, is a player at, when he was at Birmingham City, I had a lot of hope for, uh, felt like going to Leicester when Leicester was fighting for the title and ultimately winning the title probably wasn't the best move for him for that half season. He would have gotten a lot more playing time if he had gone somewhere else. But now I think he's going to factor into Leicester's plans going forward. And uh, it's the right manager and Claudio Ranieri and the right uh, team, right culture, Leicester City, the reigning Premier League champions to be with. So uh, we've got them overall in our, what would we say, were they were ninth or eighth or something in our right. overall. Mm-hmm. Uh, right. But I, I could see them finishing fourth or fifth. Uh, I do not see them finishing below ninth. So I guess maybe... Um, our average is kind of worst-case scenario in, in yeah. a way, at least in my mind. Yeah. Based on the Community Shield today, which which is now wrapped up, we're recording after we saw Ibrahimovic score that goal, um, I can say that a couple of things I noticed. First of all, Mendy is playing a slightly different role than Conte did. Mendy's playing as a traditional... Uh, Anchorman, he, he really is dropping very, very deep to link up with the defenders, as opposed to Conte, who was more of a box-to-box midfielder. Um, so I think that's a slight tactical difference that they have, and I think it ties into why he might not be nearly as effective as Conte was in that position. Uh, but the great thing, Karthik, I, I totally agree with, there was a moment in today's game where Valencia, uh, where Gray took Valencia on one-on-one and beat him for pace. And Valencia is one of the fastest players in the Premier League, so that in itself... Um, gives you the raw potential, at least physical attributes that Garay, who's obviously a very uh, slender frame, but very fast, very good with the ball, uh, has to work on his um, final decision, and, and I can see him having an impact this season. The team we have finishing uh, way higher than I think they would, uh, any of us would have predicted, except for me, uh, if, uh, more, uh, if uh, Mancini was not Mancini, uh, Martinez, excuse me, Roberto Martinez was still manager, is Everton. So I still have uh, some sympathy for Martinez. I know Karthik absolutely does not. Uh, and I had them finishing in seventh. Uh, Chris, you had them around 10th. And Karthik, you had them in sixth. So Karthik, let me ask you first, um, is this bump that you've given Everton, they finished 13 last season, You, you I remember you saying if Martinez stays, you, you think they'll be in relegation battle. Is this pure Basely, uh, purely based on the fact that Coleman is there and Martinez isn't. Largely, yes. L- largely, yes. In fact, I-, I would I would argue that uh, they would have been in the top four last year with another manager with with a Coleman. I, mm. I, the league was weak last season at the top. Everton had a really good squad and they were completely mismanaged. Now, I, I think the top of the league is going to get a little stronger, so I I figured uh, that they would finish sixth. But they have a they have a solid team. They now have a, a proper manager uh, and, and a manager who's going to be more pragmatic and, and, and scout well and, and, and make uh, some, some good player decisions. And um, 
Also, the, the, the advent of new ownership and, and uh, some increased uh, ability to spend. Now, I, I have to point out, Martinez spent a lot more money at Everton than David Moyes did. Moyes somehow would find guys at lo- on loan at the transfer deadline, have to fit them in the squad and finish sixth or seventh. Um, and, and then Martinez, on the other hand, was able to spend, I, I don't want to say spend freely, but was able to spend and able to to get away without selling Lukaku and without selling John Stones and, and uh, I couldn't finish in the top half. So... I, I, I think, um, I'm not saying Koeman is, is the greatest manager. In fact, I, I would rate Pochettino above him if you're talking about the two most recent Southampton managers. But I think just simply having another manager uh, means the squad will hit uh, the level that they should. Sixth or seventh, eighth, something something like that they'll finish. But Chris, outside of the Koeman factor, we surely are assuming that Lukaku and Stones will, will stay at, at Everton. And, and it's likely that at least one of those two will leave. I think so. I think what you have to say is <clears throat> Everton are, are in no position to need to sell anymore. Mm. And that is a huge change compared to last summer where I think it was very difficult for the club to resist the, the John Stones offer. And I think they did very well to do so. Changing that dynamic also means it's it's then easier to attract players. And I think Idrissa Gay is, is a very astute piece of business that shows actually they're not just going to go out with blank checks and, and try to sort things that way. I, th- I think, of course, it's a shame to lose someone like Stones or Lukaku. I think both are replaceable. Um, if I was to pick one to have to sell, personally, I would try and get rid of Stones over Lukaku because I think uh, Stones, for all his perceived potential and quality, is is not as influential um, as Lukaku has been. Hmm. Um, so I think if if they approach it like that, I think they'll they'll be completely fine. And like I say, I think putting them in tenth. Uh, that is is largely because of the the common factor and the the influence of the new money. Seventh place, we have West Ham United, which I think ties into how well they did most of last season. I had them in eighth. Uh, Karthik, you had them uh, in seventh, and both you and Chris had them in seventh. So very, we were very consistent on that. The big factor there, Karthik, is uh, Dimitri Payet had a good start to Euro 2016. Is probably one of uh, the most sought-after uh, midfielders over the age of 25, I guess, in, in Europe right now. Um, uh, do you see him having that level of uh, impact again this season? Yeah, if they keep him, I think he very well could. And, and they've obviously made some uh, astute signings as well uh, this uh, this uh, summer. They, uh, they were a team that was dangerously close. They finished... Uh, Obviously, seventh in the league last season, but then a couple couple unlucky breaks uh, mm-hmm. from, from finishing fourth. Really, there was a stretch of games where they, there was a succession of three or four games in a row, and generally bad calls even out to, throughout the course of the season. I think West Ham last season was one of the few exceptions to that rule, where they they had a disproportionate number of uh, bad calls at uh, unfortunate times, critical times in games go against them towards the end of the season to where they finished seventh instead of fourth. Uh, but they've uh, they've been astute in their summer buys. They're obviously uh, moving into the Olympic Stadium, although I saw uh, Ian Dark tweet today that uh, a lot of the uh, uh, a lot of the commentators uh, in his profession are not going to like the Vista from uh, from that. And I, I can I can relate to that as someone who does uh, color commentary for my uh, for my own local team, the Fort Lauderdale Strikers. I, I was uh, pleased yesterday that I didn't go to St. Pete and I got to call the game off 
off monitors because the monitors are actually better than the than where the press box is or the broadcast booth is at that particular stadium where the Tampa Bay Rowdies play. So I can complete completely relate to that. Now, does that impact the um, ambiance and atmosphere that the bowling ground? previously gave West Ham, right. that home field advantage. That's a big question. I think that's been in the back of our minds all summer, actually. It's been in the back of our minds for years as this move was made. But you look at the squad, I think the squad is very, very solid. And uh, I think this might be a breakout season for Sam Byram, a player they brought in in January from Leeds United, a player I like a lot. Uh, he, he's going uh, to get to play a lot. Uh, Unfortunately, there's a serious injury, I believe, to Aaron Cresswell, and that could uh, impact them, at least in the first portion of the season. Chris, let's stick with the topic of the Olympic Stadium. Um, we, we know how, how the bowling ground can be a bit, a bit of a fortress. Uh, at the Olympic Stadium, and this, this comes out of ignorance, I really don't know the answer to this top of my head. First of all, how much bigger is the Olympic Stadium in terms of capacity than, than the bowling ground? And will West Ham even be able to sell out every game? I don't think we'll be able to start every game. If I remember correctly, the capacity is around 80,000. Okay. Um, that would make it the biggest uh, stadium in, in the Premier League then? Uh, I believe so, yeah. I, yeah, I think Old Trafford is 76, I think, if I remember. Right, that would probably make it the fourth biggest stadium in Europe behind Real Madrid, Barcelona, and Dortmund. Okay. <laughs> it's wow. a huge stadium. Yeah. Wow. I think um, the difficulty they have is as well, it's not really a football stadium in the right. traditional sense either. Um, it, if, you've, if you've been, I've, I've never been personally, or I've never been inside, I've been to the stadium itself. Mm-hmm. Um, the construction of it and all that kind of stuff, it's, it's really not conducive to a football atmosphere. It's 60,000 um, 60, for, uh, for football, but for concerts, it's 80,000. So maybe ah. that's that was a confusion, but it's sixty thousand. Which, which uh, how, how much is the bowling ground? Is, is that's like forty something, right? So, are they still going to be able to maybe not sell it out? Probably. I, I think they'll struggle again. I, yeah. Like I say, that's that's one of the problems. As well as as not selling it out, there is also the potential that um, it just it just doesn't it, it just doesn't work for me as a football ground. That mm. that was <clears throat> one of the things about Upton Park. I was lucky enough to go there. Uh, relatively recently, it is a, it was a good ground for an atmosphere, and it was easy to make an atmosphere there. I don't see the same with the Olympic Stadium, and I think their rush to take it, I think, will be something they may regret in the long term. Yeah, I think I think you're absolutely right about that. So uh, Upton Park Bowling Ground is thirty six thousand, so they're almost trying to double their capacity here with sixty thousand, uh, and that's going to have an effect in terms of the atmosphere. And as you said, it's not a football stadium, so the fans will be a little more distant than the uh, than the pitch. So all of those things will contribute. Uh, so it will be a very interesting, uh, you know, it's something we'll have to watch out for in terms of how West Ham plays at home. Sixth place is a team that has no trouble getting the best out of their players at home in terms of the, the atmosphere their their audience creates, and that's Liverpool. Uh, Liverpool is a, a club that, uh, at this moment, in between our analysis, is pretty disparate. I had them right on the money on sixth. Chris had them in third, and Karthik had them in ninth. So I'm, I'd like to spend a few minutes talking about Liverpool. From my perspective, the uh, Klopp has done a pretty good job in terms of getting in players that he wants, the, the style of player that he wants. Um, but the the problem I'm having, uh, I guess, Karthik, you're good to ask about this because you have the, uh, you probably see the same problems that I do. 
is the fact that they're having issues with defense. Uh, Sako had some disciplinarian issues. We heard, uh, even though they smashed Barcelona yesterday, the biggest story out of that is the, the injury to Lovren. Um, so those defensive issues will manifest themselves over this season. Yeah, I, I mean, I think I might have even just given Colo Torre another one-year deal, honestly, mm-hmm. uh, to have someone with Premier League experience that's somewhat reliable uh, in there as as cover. Uh, now it would be more than cover. He'd probably have to start uh, again. I um, I'm very concerned about their defense. I'm very concerned about their central midfield situation with, uh, I think, Henderson – uh, being injured often and uh, letting Joe Allen go. Uh, James Milner, I think, has dropped off substantially from his peak years at Manchester City. I, 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 and they've been playing him in the middle, which is also something that I'm not quite sure suits his uh, his skill set that's remaining at this age. Now, I know Milner wants to play in the middle, but I, I'm not quite sure that's the best role for him. I, I, um, I don't know. Obviously, they're not in Europe, right? So that right. That, that maybe could... could uh, should have factored into my thought process. But right now I just see a lot of teams that are stronger than they are. I have a lot of faith in Jurgen Klopp, and I think this is a long-term project, but he's inherited a team which is kind of a mishmash of players. He's trying to revamp the team into how he plays, and it's going to be another year or two uh, from, from, from where I sit. He's got to get the defense right at some point. Uh, the signing of Mane is exciting. That, that, that That's going to help them a lot. Uh, they... Uh, need to have a healthy Daniel Sturridge. They need to have a, a healthy Origi. Uh, they've had a lot of injuries uh, going forward also. I'm still not quite sure what Lallana's role is. Uh, there's just, just more questions for me about Liverpool than there are answers when you compare them to the teams that, that I've picked above them, including uh, Leicester City. I picked Leicester ahead of Liverpool, which I don't think mm-hmm. uh, the, the, the two of you did. But right. I, I just have a lot of concerns about the squad. Chris, why do you think they'll finish third? Uh, because I think that Klopp has been able to bring in the kind of players that work in his system. Sadio Mane is probably the best example. And I think when you start to get those kind of players in, it just improves the quality overall. Um, I think they'll be a very fast, aggressive side. And I think those are the kind of traits that will, will do really well in the, the Premier League this season. But are you not worried about some of the things that Karthik is mentioning in terms of injuries? I mean, we, we know there's so much talent on that squad with Firmino, Coutinho, uh, even a fit and informed Benteke can do damage. Uh, of course, Sturridge is, is our, in my opinion, the most talented English player right now. But the injury issues and the fact that Klopp plays this particular style of football um, and the fact that he had, while he has, as I, as I started this conversation, he's bought players that fit his system but perhaps he's still missing a couple of game changers. So third place is is is, is a big shout. I, I, I get that, but they also don't have Europe to contend with, which I think mm, yeah, helps yeah. them a lot compared to their the competition. And I think the the size of the squad but and also the quality of the squad just means that I think they'll have enough to, to creep in there. I think they'll be the dark horse, essentially. Mm, okay, that's a good shout. When we come back, we will go through places five through the champion, uh, predicted champions. Uh, in order to do that, stick with us for the final section of the World Soccer Talk podcast. The final section of today's preview podcast for the Premier League. We have Antonio Conte's Chelsea in fifth place. Karthik, new team, new look. 
uh, a very good signing in in uh, as we've talked about in uh, in Conte and Golo Conte. That is uh, arguably one of the best midfielders in Europe right now. Um, but at the same time, I think the reason we don't have them higher uh, is that it will take us it will take them a little bit of time to get that tactical system going, won't it? Yeah, I, I think it will, but... You actually have them in fourth. Yeah, yeah I have them in fourth, yeah. right. I have them in the top four. So I think they finish fourth. I think that they're going to be um, very, very tough to break down at the back, the way Conte's teams typically were at Juventus. And then going forward, you've got a guy who's a two-way player in Conte who's, who's uh, just, as far as a box-to-box midfielder, as good as anyone in in uh, in Europe right now. Uh, to me, he's, uh, well, maybe not as good as Busquets, but he's as good as a- anyone else. Uh, he's better than Paul Pogba, in my opinion. That's uh, going to create a lot of controversy. You're, you're, yeah, wor- you're worried about Chris Harris uh, kicking you off the podcast. I'm about to kick you off the podcast. <laughs> right now, I think Angola Conte is a better player than Paul Pogba. I was disappointed uh, Deschamps uh, wasn't playing him toward the end right. of the Euros. Right, I think right, that right. cost them. I thought he was very good in the group stage. He showed it at the international level, so it's not just a Leicester thing. I think he's going to help them an awful lot. I'm not quite sure what they're going to do about Diego Costa. Mm. Uh, it seems like Conte doesn't doesn't really fancy him. I think Eden Hazard will have a uh, a bounce-back year in this system, and I, I think Cesc Fabregas might have a pretty good year. So uh, I think Chelsea uh, will probably regain kind of their natural position, fourth or fifth. Uh, 10th, where they finished last season. Did they even finish 10th? I think they finished 10th. I think it was a uh, an unnatural place for them to be. Uh, however, uh, uh, I, I don't think they're a title contender at all. Chris, I talked about this uh, on a, another podcast I did recently, and you and I kind of talked about this a little bit, but I want to ask you more specifically. So the general analysis of Antonio Conte's time at Juventus at, at in, in uh, for Italy is that he was able to create this this these uh, he was able to achieve these results in spite of not having the best players and i'm curious if perhaps we should be saying that the reason he was able to develop that tactical system and the reason he was able to get those results is because he didn't have any prima donna players uh, the kind of draconian measures that we know antonio conte likes to employ on the ta- on the training pitch getting rid of all the media uh, you know creating the siege mentality are those things viable at Chelsea? I think so. I think the the thing with him is it's it's that payload quote that follows him everywhere. The the idea that uh, his words crash through the walls of your mind. I, I think he's someone that can inspire very easily, hmm. um, and I think he is also a manager that will understand what the motivations are are of those prima donnas. I think someone like Diego Costa, the, the motivation is to win the Champions League. For someone like Eden Hazard, it's, it's to become the player that we all believe he can be. So I think his ability to to find that that flickering fire in, inside the players is, is not a difficult one. Um, I think the, the more curious thing for me with <clears throat> excuse me with Chelsea this season is how they integrate youth. They've right. certainly got a lot of good players with potential. Um, Nathaniel Chalaber, Lewis Baker, who obviously is at Vitesse, um, even the likes of Ruben Loftus-Cheek. It's it's whether those players get that regular opportunity. We also saw John Swift leave this summer, who is a player I'm a big fan of. So he's clearly ran the rule over those young players and decided who he wants to leave and who he wants to stay. 
it's now up to him to essentially do what I think few managers before him have been able to do, which is is put young players in there and, and win things with them. Winning things. The bane of the next team we're going to talk about. Fourth place, Kartik Arsenal. Uh, FA Cups aside, uh, the, the fourth and third and second place has been the conversation about Arsenal uh, for a long, long time. Uh, this summer, they have lost Per, per Mertesacker. Uh, and Car- uh, Chris and I talked about this uh, last week, about the need for a central defender, the need for a striker. Yet we have them above Chelsea. So so contextualize uh, our decision. You you had them as high as third, I think. Uh, so so yeah, tell us why, why Arsenal will finish fourth. I think Granit Xhaka is a uh, useful signing for them. I, I still think uh, they've got I- enough quality in the side, uh, enough guys that are, are, are ready to... Uh, to step up to get them into the top four, but not get them into really a title race. Uh, a, a guy like Metzodozil, I think, is uh, is is playing the best football he's played perhaps in his career. Very underappreciated his performances recently for Arsenal and for Germany. Uh, quite frankly, he was for me out of sight the best German player in the Euros, uh, and uh, wasn't really talked well, about may- very maybe much. Maybe Boateng aside. Oh yeah, Boateng at the back, right? That's that's right. But uh, going forward, I thought Ozil had a, had a great tournament. Uh, look, just look at the Euros in general. They they had uh, in Ozil, one of the best players in the tournament, in Aaron Ramsey to be one of the top five players in the tournament, and in uh, Granit Xhaka, a guy who did pretty well in the tournament. Although there were some rough spots for him with Switzerland, but the, just in that midfield alone, they had three guys that were fantastic. I mean, you saw in not, in, not uh, talking about Giroud, Karthik. Well, Giroud got himself into positions to score lots of goals. He doesn't finish those chances, but mm-hmm. he, he had a good Euro, uh, I thought. I mean, the one guy on the team who clearly didn't have a good Euro was Jack Wilshere. Right. <laughs> you say that conversation mm-hmm. for yeah. another time. Yeah. I don't know that he's going to be a, an important part of this team, but uh, we can, we can uh, dispense with the conversations and the jokes about England right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, Will, what I saw from Ramsey in the Euros was a player that was able to play the ball side to side, keep the ball moving uh, in tandem with Joe Allen, uh, in addition to a guy who made the perfectly timed runs forward a la Frank Lampard, a la what we saw from Ramsey two seasons ago Hmm. in the Premier League. Did that for Wales this summer. So I think he's coming in in, uh, whatever confidence he lost last season uh, with the uneven play with Arsenal, he's coming in with that. And then I think, uh, obviously, you still have an Alexis Sanchez, uh, one of the four or five world-class players in the Premier League. There are not that many world-class players in the Premier League. He is one of them when he's on. Yeah, well said. But Chris, you have Arsenal finishing out of the top four. In fact, you, in fact, you have them finishing sixth. Uh, I know you said last week that you think this is Arsene Wenger's last year. So extrapolate, so expand on those comments and, and the fact that you think they'll finish out of top four for the first time under Wenger. I just feel the the mistakes of previous years will, will finally catch up with the team in its entirety. The as a, I mean again, this is <clears throat> this is one thing I should caveat every prediction with. It's as things stand right now. Uh-huh. Um and the fact that Granite Xhaka is the only player that they've signed this summer is essentially history repeating itself. And in that sense it's you know, the more things change, the more things stay the same. Arsenal, for whatever reason, don't seem eager to address problems which are glaring to them each summer. And I think finally they will see a consequence to that because for every good young player they have like Alex Awobi, 
I don't see a high quality striker in there. Um, and I think, I think this is the season where it actually goes down for them. Or I say goes down, where the performance actually drops um, this season. Arsenal fans, you can find him at K Henaj uh, on Twitter. Let's go to third place. Uh, trust me, Chris, they will find you, yeah, unfortunately. Yeah. Uh-huh. Now, I'm just trying to make sure I don't get involved I, I, in these conversations. Yeah, I mean, look, I, I don't mind. I understand. I've, I've had debates with Arsenal fans before. I, I famously said the year before um, Aaron Ramsey had a, a great season that it was it was boom or bust time for him. He, he had to start performing. And mm-hmm. that got me reams and reams of, of vitriol about how I knew nothing and I was an idiot. So I'm, I'm not adverse to this. If anything, <laughs> I have a lot of sympathy for Arsenal fans because I think they are a club with massive potential that is being... I think at this point, bordering on mismanaged because they should be doing so much more than they are. And <clears throat> they're still holding on to people like Jack Wilshire and, and thinking he can be the answer when the truth is he's never going to be fit enough. He, he just isn't. He, he either has to change the way he plays as a midfielder, which I don't think he'll do, or you have to accept that you're going to maybe get 10 games out of him a season. And I don't think the fans want to do that. So, Yeah, good points. The team that they are going to hate us picking ahead of them, any Arsenal fans still listening, Tottenham. Tottenham is the team we get, have at third. I had them in fourth. Uh, Chris had them in fourth. And Karthik had them as high as second. So, Karthik, other than uh, the fact that last... I, I remember you saying last season you felt Spurs were title contender. So, I know you have a lot of appreciation for Pochettino, as you've elucidated a few minutes ago. Tell us why Spurs will finish ahead of Arsenal and in third. They're a year older... Uh, their uh, fall off at the end of last season came due to a lot of youth and inexperience, guys who hadn't been through the battles. Now they've been through it. They saw saw it go bad. Uh, They they played particularly poorly after Dembele got suspended. Now I I understand, obviously, that suspension carries into the first month of this season, but that's, uh, I think, probably why they signed uh, uh, Victor Wanyama uh, from Southampton, a player that uh, Pochettino is very familiar with. I just like Pochettino... As a manager, the, his principles, what he's done with these young players, how they're playing football, how well organized and well drilled they are defensively. Uh, they don't, uh, other than those last few games of last season, I, I just think they are the type of team in a league like this that uh, is going to be consistent. They're going to have a consistent base of players, not players in, players out like uh, Spurs used to have in the right. uh, Red Nap days and, and, and like uh, Manchester United and, and uh, Chelsea now have. Consistent core of players, guys who understand one another's roles, and a manager who ha- himself has a very cool head. He's a young manager. He's one of the best young managers in Europe, and he's uh, he, he's a steady head. He has uh, turned down the opportunity from where I sit to probably pursue other jobs. Now, I know he wasn't offered any other jobs, but to pursue uh, a Manchester United or a Real Madrid or a, uh, a job like that uh, in order to... Uh, to see through this project at White Hart Lane or wherever they're going to be, actually going to be in another right. uh, uh, ground by the time this project's complete. I, I just really like the way they're going. I like the direction the club's going. Uh, Arsenal can celebrate St. Totterham's Day like they did uh, in the last season by finishing ahead of them. But, of course, it was Spurs who actually pushed for the title in spite mm-hmm. of the final table. Right. right? Not Arsenal. And I, I believe this season they will finish ahead of Arsenal and we can uh, dispense with all this uh, yearly uh, St. Totterham's Day uh, nonsense. 
Chris, they certainly have that continuity that, continuity that Karthik definitely talks about in terms of the manager, that brilliant defense that they've meant to keep, uh, that they managed to keep together, uh, those midfielders adding Wanyama. They have Harry Kane still, who in previous seasons would have been a bid for, uh, for would have been attracting interest from Madrid and Man United, etc. But the question I have for you, and possibly this is why we have, we both have them uh, finishing fourth and not higher, is the fact that are they a Harry Kane injury away from slipping out of fourth place? No, I think <clears throat> I think it's unfair to say that on Vincent Janssen. Um, in signing him, they have a player that I think has similarities. I'm, I'm loath to compare them directly because then if he doesn't match Harry Kane's goal exploits, then I, I look stupid. I, I think... <laughs> If you go back to a few summers ago when Spurs sold Gareth Bale, they went out and spent exorbitant amounts of money right. on players. Five or six different be, players, right? Mm, they went to be went on to be, for the most part, quite poor, a lot of them. I think only really Eric Lamella and Eriksson of that group were successful. Mm-hmm. They could have very easily done that again this summer with the television money because it's around a similar fee um, to the Gareth Bale one. I think actually they went for the smart approach and, and just tried to prune the squad rather than completely overhaul it. And I think they deserve credit for that. Um, I think the likes of Janssen and Wanyama give them enough of what they need. They fit into the dynamic of the squad already and, and understand actually how Spurs want to play. So so I think they'll be fine. Let me jump in here because I think we know that the, the uh, Netherlands are not going to miss another international tournament uh, for a while. That you know The Euro thing was a fluke. I think Janssen might be their number nine going forward for the Dutch mm-hmm. national team. I think he might be the guy who's their number nine in the World Cup. So we're talking about a really high-quality signing. And thank you, Chris, for bringing that up. I, I had forgotten that they had signed him. But yes, uh, that, that is a big signing. In second place, we have Manchester City somehow. Because myself, I picked them second. Chris picked them first. And then the Man City supporter amongst us picked them fifth. Karthik, why is Manchester City finishing out of top four? I think the team probably is a sixth or seventh place team last season if the top of the league had not been so weak. Uh, the team has not significantly upgraded. I think Gundawan is a slight upgrade. I think Nolito is no upgrade. I think uh, Sané is a uh, is a work in progress. I, I don't necessarily think he's he's that much better than Raheem Sterling. I know because there's so much hate towards, particularly in the wake of the summer's performances. There's this feeling that Sané is is much better. I've actually probably watched Sané in person more than most of the critics. I, I've seen him in person four times. I've uh, watched him a lot on television with Schalke as well, and I, I think he is an unfinished article. So. I, I, it's the same team, right? And I think essentially Guardiola is going to have to take players that um, are uh, aging, kind of um, off the pace, and and mold them into the kind of t- uh, team he wants. I think it takes a year uh, with this with this side. He's gonna he's gonna end up bloodletting some guys, and other guys are going to be gone next season. And uh, uh, we probably finish fifth or sixth this season and finish uh, first or second the next year. I, I, I think uh, there will be at some point a massive uh, overhaul of the squad. I thought it would be this summer. It hasn't happened. And, and again, I, I'm not disappointed in the signings. I'm, I'm glad that uh, Pep wants to see if he can work with the current set of players because he is a great man manager. We know that. But I just don't think the current set of players are up to the level that he's accustomed to. And uh, that's why uh, I say fifth now. It's contingent on what happens the rest of the transfer window. And also, it's uh, a, a thinking that Gordiola is not going to find this squad to his liking 
and they will overhaul and be much better in the in the seventeen eighteen season. Chris, surely Kartik's being even more pessimistic than I usually am. I mean, Nolito, a, a player that doesn't hasn't played forward a lot. He hasn't played striker a lot. He's played winger a little bit. Has almost I think forty goals. Had forty goals in less than a hundred appearances at Celta. Gundogan, we know how good he is at at. Um, uh, at uh, was at Dortmund. Uh, Leroy Sané, sure, he's had only one real good season, one real season at all, but definitely, in my opinion, better than Raheem Sterling. Talk to me about how fifth place is ridiculous. You have them winning, so so where where do you stand on what Karthik said? Yeah, I think I'm unsure at the minute if they're going to win or finish second. That's the difficulty I'm having mm-hmm. with trying to predict. Uh, say, I, I'm not sure it drops to fifth or sixth. I think. The ideas that, that Guardiola imparts are not as complicated as people think. I think actually they can be very easily ingested and produced by players of this calibre. Of course, you have weaknesses. I also think Nelito is a very good player. I do like what Sana represents. I think he, I agree with Kartik that he is a work in progress. He's, he's someone that will take time to, to reach that potential. Overall, though, I think you'll see a, a slight change. With I think you'll see the youth incorporated more, and I think actually that could could help them maintain the level they've been accustomed to of, of late. I don't see a massive drop-off. I think, if anything, looking at the likes of Pellegrini, that's one aspect I think he really struggled with and, and didn't use properly until really the very end when he knew his fate, so to speak, which was incorporating youth. Karthik, quick follow-up. Do you think uh, is going to be focusing on Champions League more this season? Because... I mean that would that's always been the fo- that's been the focus now for a couple of years with having uh, been title contenders consistently for the last seven or eight years. Uh, will the focus be building a system that will f- facilitate Champions League success? I think so, and I think Manchester City will have Champions League success. The question is, based on where I picked them, they might not be in Champions League hmm. the next season, although they might finish fourth, right? So, uh, But I, yes, I think they will have Champions League success, and I, and I agree with Chris. There's going to be more integration of youth, which will take time, but has had to be done, and it's something Pellegrini uh, resisted, with the exception of Iannaccio, just because Iannaccio was just such an out-of-sight Right. Uh, off the charts talent that he had really very little choice but to integrate him when he's better than your first team players but I, I think it's all going to be good for Manchester City in the long run with Pep it's just he's inheriting a team that I think is probably just not uh, at, at, at the level he's accustomed to and, and he will get them to that level but it might involve uh, many personnel changes mm-hmm. the team we have finishing first uh, is Manchester United um we know now that Paul Pogba is uh, in Man- well might not be in Manchester, but a, 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 a medical has been declared from Manchester United. It's on the website, so it's as good as done. We can actually say that this time, as opposed to uh, speculating. So Pogba will be a Manchester United player. Uh, when we made our predictions, it was before the news, before we confirmed that news. So uh, I'm curious, Chris, with with the news that Pogba is coming to Manchester United. Is this the most complete squad that you th- uh, in the, in the Premier League, or do you just think the Mourinho effect is strong enough that's made you made all of us uh, pick them? Well, not all of us. I think you picked them to come second, but all of us to collectively pick them as high as first. I think that's a, <clears throat> a large part of it. I think a lot of people are expecting players signed last summer to improve significantly under the tutelage of Mourinho. I also think the way in which he has conducted things and been so almost cutthroat 
that indicates that the the level overall will pick up because it sounds as if there will be a lot less slack given to the current mm. group than I think was allowed under uh, Louis van Gaal. I also think the signings they've made are actually quite good. Pogba aside, I mean, that's a, an astronomical fee. It's, it's laughable, to be honest, when you consider what other clubs can spend. Um, mm. It is very much in us and them quickly developing. Um, I, away from that, I think Eric Barley is a very good piece of business. I actually quite like Mkhitaryan as well. And I think overall there's there's just a, a good feeling around Manchester United at the minute. It's 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 talked about in the way of them coming back. I see a lot of Man United fans saying that they're back and all this kind of stuff, which is, I don't know, I think that in itself is a funny thing to say, but I can see why they think that because they are spending the most. Again, they're sort of at least in terms of business back at the top table, if not yet performance. Karthik, I watched, uh, I know you did too, the Community Shield. Uh, Eric Bay was, uh, if you believe Manchester United Twitter, this, this godlike performance. And I, I have to, <laughs> I have to admit, I wasn't as impressed. Uh, I think, I think there's a bit of Sako about Eric Bay. Let's set aside the fact that he's 22, 23. He's, he will have time to improve. But I think there's a little bit of the rash Sako effect where, a lot of fans think he's an incredible defender it's because he makes a lot of last-ditch tackles. It also means that he will lead to other players in the defense being out of position. So are we over? Uh, are we expecting way too much of this Manchester United defense and putting them in first place when, it, when you, if you have Eric Bailly as your main defender along with Smalling or Blint, whoever it is, that is actually a bit of a leaky defense. Yeah, quite possibly. And then... Uh, the question mark uh, continues to uh, to to uh, dominate what 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 you do with Blind, where you play him, uh, who you play immediately in front of that back four. I still believe, in, and and I guess maybe Mourinho believes this too because he gave Carrick a, a one year extension. I continue to believe Michael Carrick's the guy you want to play there because he keeps the ball moving. You'll you'll be able to circulate the ball, keep possession. But maybe uh, you, you you play Pogba as a number six, as Deschamps claimed uh, he should be instead of a number eight. Mm. A, a lot of questions. I don't know how the Pogba signing uh, affects Mkhitaryan. I can't imagine they signed Mkhitaryan for the fee they did to sit him on the bench. But now I'm looking at the, at the Manchester United midfield, and I'm a little bit confused about where Mourinho is going to play, guys. Uh, obviously, you've got this... Uh, Absolutely disrespectful, and uh, uh, I, I just have to register my my view of this despicable handling of, of Bastian Schweinsteiger, who's one of the great mm-hmm. players of our era, yep, uh, to see him uh, uh, treated in this manner by Jose Mourinho. But that's that's classic Mourinho, right? We come right. to expect that kind of behavior from him, and and uh, he's I guess sending a message to uh, the rest of the world that he, he's uh, in charge. But uh, you wonder about Mata. Is Mata on his way out? I think though. Uh, when, when you look at this team, there's just so much individual talent that you think can then be corralled collectively by Mourinho. And you still think about guys like Martial, and you add a Zlatan, who is going to score goals, particularly with all those midfielders we mentioned, Wayne Rooney, of course, among them. Although Rooney, I guess, is going to be playing uh, further forward this season than he did under uh, Von Hall, or, or certainly than he did under Roy Hodgson this summer with England. Uh, you, you, just, you just think that they've got with Mourinho and the squad they have, they're going to win the title this year. Now, 
in picking them first, I have ma- I want to make this clear. It is for this season, and we are talking about this season right. only. I think right, right. Uh, Pep Guardiola is going to have a, an effect on Manchester City, but it's a year away. I think uh, Conte is going to have a massive effect on Chelsea, but it's probably a year away. Uh, I, and uh, Arsenal might have another manager in a in a. Uh, year or two and uh our, and uh spurs are just going to get to continue to improve as long as pochettino stays there so uh, we're looking at Mourinho potentially winning the title this year and then bombing out of the top four next year i don't want to get too far ahead of ourselves and mm-hmm. that would just be very classic Mourinho, wouldn't it be it would and uh, it's typical us at world soccer talk that we just previewed 2017-2018 season as well uh, <laughs> in terms of our preview. So we'll be back next week, Karthik, Chris, myself and we'll be talking uh, about the first weekend of the Premier League and previewing the following weekend. So lots of uh, podcasts coming your way. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast on iTunes and leave us a review and all that good stuff. Uh, and you can find uh, Karthik at KKFLA737 you can find Chris at K Henaj, especially you Arsenal fans. You can find me at Nipun Chopra 7. So uh, thank you everybody for listening. On behalf of everyone here at World Soccer Talk, Karthik. Enjoy your football. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello HelloFresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.